0: Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arseblog, Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. Hope you're well. Seriously, I do. I hope you're all well. Every week I hope you're well and happy and content, because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this. And if you're not listening, what's the point? I remember many years ago, uh, before I got my first ever radio job, which was I think about the age of 15, when I went to this uh, old pirate radio station here in Dublin called Radio Dublin... And uh, the man in charge was a man called Eamon Cook. Captain Cook, they called him. Um, I went and knocked on the door of the the radio station, span him this story about how I wanted to be a radio presenter, I was going to go to college and do communications, and I was giving him the whole hard sell of myself and how conscientious and and how dedicated I would be if I was just given a chance on the radio, not really expecting anything to happen. He said, you're on Friday at nine. And I went, what? What? So I had to come down a Friday at night to my first ever radio show, and I was quite terrified. And I remember somebody saying to me that old thing about when you're giving a speech or or if you have to, you know, do some kind of public talking. Imagine the audience naked, and that makes it easier. And this person said to me, "Just imagine that you're talking to one person, and that one person is naked," which was clearly not any help whatsoever because I was probably thinking of Patsy Kensit, and I was 15, and it didn't help. But I just wanted you to know that I don't picture any of you, any of you naked whatsoever when I do this, but I do hope that you are well. It has been something of a difficult week, right? On the pitch and off the pitch. Capital One Cup game, that wasn't great. And then there was was the the big tragedy this week, of course, and I'm not sure that humanity is in any place to deal with it. I'm not sure we're ready. I'm not sure that the impact it's going to have on society will be positive in any way. I do wonder and worry sometimes that we're, we're heading towards the end of days. You know, you look around and you see all these terrible things happening around the world and you think, well, there's only so long that can go before, essentially, as a species, we just kind of self-destruct. I think we could be very much on that path as it stands, you know, global warming, wars, crises here, there, and everywhere, famine, starvation. You know, it's 2015. We should be able to counter most of these things. We've got education. We've got intelligence. We've got science and technology. But no, no. These things continue to happen and seem to be happening with more frequency and regularity and more viciousness. That's the difficult part. And this week, then, the uh, the news that Phil Collins is coming out of retirement. Well, I mean, that's, that's pretty much a sign that, look... Whatever gods there are out there, they have abandoned us. It's true. Thank you to everybody, and I do mean everybody, on Twitter, on Facebook, via email, who took the time to um, to tell me that Phil Collins was no longer in retirement, which is, I guess, code for Phil Collins is going to make some more music. I mean... Haven't we suffered enough? I know people go on these days about X Factor and the voice and the vacuousness of pop music, but give me one of those guys any day over the the bollocks that Phil Collins has foisted upon this, this world. And people have asked me, why in particular do you dislike Phil Collins so much? And it's not simply because he's a Spurs fan. I know Spurs fans. A couple of them seem to be all right, you know? So it's not just down to that. It's not just down to the fact that he's a jumped-up drummer. And I've got no real issue with somebody coming out from behind the drums, you know. Dave Grohl did it, didn't he? He was a drummer with Nirvana. And then a guy I saw last weekend, Father John Misty, he was, he was the drummer with Fleet Foxes, I think. And, and he's gone on to forge himself a, a very good career by, you know, actually singing good songs and making good music. But when you're the drummer and you, you get in front of the mic and you, you you make songs like Invisible Touch, and you make songs like Susudio, and you make songs like Easy Lover, no, this, this won't do. This will not do at all. And people have asked me why in particular though, like loads of people make shit music, but why him in particular? Why does he exercise you so? Why do you associate him with the worst things in life? And the answer is very simple. In the air tonight. Unquestionably the most appalling song ever, ever written. Slow. It's tedious. The vocals are particularly nasal and high-pitched, overly trebled, too much mid-range, not enough bass. But the worst part, the worst part of all, is that bit where about two-thirds of the way through the song, the drums kick in. You know the bit I'm talking about. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to play it here. This is a Phil Collins free zone. I'm just trying to explain. But that bit where the drums kick in, oh, God, it makes me so mad. Because people really like it. How many times have you seen people do air drums to that? On the one hand, you could say it's a good thing that those air drums exist, because if you see anybody doing it, you go, I am staying away from that person forever even if it's my brother or my wife or, or whoever. Stranger, I'm not going near them. So it kind of allows you to see which are the worst people on earth. But on the other hand, you can just sort of imagine Phil Collins sitting in the studio when he came up with that bit, being really fucking happy with himself. Oh, look at this brilliant drum bit that I did because I am Phil Collins, a drummer. I will do this drum bit and everyone will love it and they will play air drums to it. And he did it on purpose. So that song in particular is why I dislike Phil Collins, and the news that he has come out of retirement is quite uh, quite upsetting and bewildering. And look, you can say, "Hey, hey, you're overreacting here. You don't have to listen to any of Phil Collins' music if you don't want to. Nobody's making you." And that is true. You know, I do accept that. It's a very valid point of view. But look, don't we try and make this world a better place for those that come after us, for our children? For our children's children, what if when he releases a new album, your child becomes a fan of Phil Collins? Would never have happened otherwise. And all of a sudden, you've got a Phil Collins fan for a son or a daughter. How would you feel? Imagine on a cold day, your son going outside without a coat and you say, hey, son, it's cold out there. You better put something on. Keep yourself warm. Otherwise, you know, you might, you might get sick. And then you say, no, Dad, it's fine. I'm a Phil Collins fan. No jacket required. And then you'll have to rewrite your will to cut him out of it altogether. It's the inconvenience, think about that. This is the danger, people. This is the danger. Anyway, I hope I've made that quite clear. So it was a bit of a Phil Collins evening in Sheffield, wasn't it, on Tuesday? An in-the-air tonight feeling to the whole event, Capital One Cup game, before it kicked off, and maybe this is just me, maybe I'm like, this is some weird shit in my own head, but I looked at the camera angle, I looked at the the lights, I looked at the terrible kit we were wearing, I looked at the way the, the pitch was set up, and it just, I don't know, it looked to me the sort of circumstances in which we lose. I don't know if that makes any sense to anyone, but I was just, I've just i seen it before. There was a, a whack of Bradford off it or something. I can't quite explain it. Just one of those nights where whatever way the floodlights are shining and whatever the camera angle is, whatever the little bit of blur on the thing and whatever way we looked, it just said, nah, we're going to lose this. Before we even kicked off. And then we lose Alex Oxley chamberlain to a hamstring injury after, after four minutes. He was doing some big stretches just before kickoff. Stretching out those hamstrings. So obviously he was feeling the uh, the effects of something a bit before, but look, all the criticism of him picking up an injury, I don't know what else we could have done, really. We had to play a few of the senior players simply because we don't have enough of the kids who were anywhere near this kind of level. On the one hand, you might say, look, you just play all the kids and fucking see what happens. That could be a bit of a laugh, but, you know, you get accused of not taking the thing seriously at all then, even though we didn't you've got to at least pretend a little bit like you are. So he goes off after four minutes. Theo Walcott comes on in the live blog. I have to get it up here, actually. The live blog, that is. Get your mind out of the gutter, please. Uh, in the live blog, uh, I said, boom, 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 boom. here we go. On five minutes, talking about Oxide Chamberlain's injury, that's not good news. And on the sixth minute, I said, especially when Walcott rips his toe off in about 10 minutes. Haha, <laughs> bit of gallows humor there. Fast forward to 15 minutes, corner Arsenal, and then 16 minutes, now Walcott is injured. Literally to the minute when I said it. Now I don't have psychic powers. Certainly not ones that I can use in any positive way. Never won the lottery. I'm shit at betting. I do an accumulator most weeks. Just put a pound, and I sort of like pick long odds and do an accumulator in the in the Premier League to see if I can figure out who's gonna who's gonna win and what might happen. Nothing. Nothing. I'm rubbish at it. Absolutely shit. So I've got no powers of of foresight or or soothsaying or anything like that. But this was quite spooky. To the minute when I said Walcott was going to get injured, he got injured, and now they're going to miss three games, three big games as well: Swansea away, Bayern Munich away, and Tottenham at home. So they're going to miss those three games unless there's some good news that emerges over the coming weeks, and it leaves us in a bit of a predicament, doesn't it, in terms of what we're going to do on the right-hand side. And when you look at it, it's bananas. Almost every player we have for that right-hand side position is injured. Aaron Ramsey, hamstring. Jack Wilshere, broken leg. Theo Walcott, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, we have covered. Thomas Rosicki could play there. He's out injured with a knee problem. Danny Welbeck, knee problem. That's like six players, six good players for that position, all fucked So obviously there's a bit of a discussion to take place about who's going to play there against Swansea. Maybe the team will be different against Bayern. Who knows? We'll have to... uh we'll have to try and tease that one out. So why don't we do that right now by introducing my guest this week uh, to talk about that and all the other bits and pieces. It's uh, it's Tim Stillman. Hello there. Hello there. I was going to start by asking you uh, or, or delving in depth into the question of who plays on the right hand side for, for Arsenal, and uh, There were a lot of permutations. Would we move uh, Bellerin forward, play Debuchy at right back, put Cazorla there, put Ozil there, whoever it might be. But Arsene Wenger has uh, since come out and said, look, it's going to be Joel Campbell or, or Alex who wobie and it would strike me that the Joel Campbell is probably the guy who's going to get the nod
1: i i think so yeah and as, as much as i'm you know dubious about um, his quality and I think the manager clearly is as well from the way he uses him I think really the the best thing you could say about Joel Campbell is that he know he knows how to play there it's broadly speaking his position and I think effectively and he, I think he said this in his comments today the manager it just means that basically Arsenal have got four players that are just super important at the moment Coquelin, Kazola, Erzil and Alexis and I think his thinking is if I just keep those four guys doing exactly what they're doing exactly where they've been doing it then really the rest of the team not so much takes care of itself but you know in in lieu of current circumstances Joel Campbell carries almost no goal threat however he's not bad on the ball he's you know he works hard enough he can trap a ball and pass it Um, I'm not sure we can expect too much more than that. But <laughs> in terms of the structure of the team, he wouldn't be like a massive liability, I don't think. Um, and I, I just think he keep, putting him there uh, keeps those four really, really important cogs kind of exactly where they are. And I think really the manager's going to lean on, you know, those four players to really dig the results out for him in the next couple of weeks
0: yeah I mean that was the thing even about moving Bellerin for example even if Debushi had been in any reasonable form which he's clearly mm. not um, you know when you've got a, a steady back four and a back four that's playing that well when you start shuffling things around a bit it does it does affect the the balance of the team. It is a chance maybe for Campbell as well, though. Um, I, I'm not suggesting for a second that he might become this season's Cockalan, but maybe with a couple of games he, he might actually improve a little. I thought, you know, he like you say, he worked hard against Sheffield Wednesday, but but the quality on the ball um, wasn't that great. Perhaps, though, with better players around him and with a with a more dynamic team around him, um, he, he might he might do all right.
1: Indeed, and um, you know, I, I think we've been most of us have been forced to revisit our opinions of a few players um, who we've thought maybe are average or not quite average. But mm. you know, you look at how someone like Nacho Monreal's come on, who looked a perfectly decent left back. About a year ago, and now he looks like a top class left back, and that just looks to me like a symptom of somebody who's come into a fairly settled team and got a run of games in his preferred position. And it does make you wonder how many players, you know, um, the kind of this, particularly the Cochalan effect, does make you wonder maybe if we if Joel Campbell played got you know 15 20 games in our front three. I hope not, <laughs> I you'd hope not. But but you know may, maybe he'd he'd start to look like a top class forward um, right. given given enough games. I, I have my doubts, but yeah. um, it would be less of a surprise to me than Cockleham was. Put it that way. Um, so yeah, exactly. And maybe with kind of better players around him, you know, if he's played, has he ever really played with the likes of Alexis and Özil? And not I, really. I, yeah, certainly not from the start. Um, so you know, may, maybe maybe that will bring something out of him um I'm not expecting too much more um but you know maybe he'll have he'll carry that goal threat that he's really been missing because to be honest it's been difficult to really surmise how much of a goal threat he is given the players he's played with given the fact that he only ever really gets four or five minutes yeah um at the end of a game when it's really panic station, so I mean it's obviously there are reasons why he only gets those minutes but it's it's hard he's hardly had the environment to flourish yeah. so far and really this this couple of games here i mean this is his last and only chance i think um to make any kind of career at arsenal
0: yeah i mean i think the the games that he started he started a, a capital 1 cup game in 20 2014 in september right. and he did play with uh, Alexis, um, Kokalam, Podolsky was in that team, Rosicki in that team, but again, a smattering of youngsters. There was a, an away game, I think, in Galatasaray when, yeah. when Ramsey scored, and then the last time he 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 started um, beyond this season was a 2-0 win against Hull in the FA Cup. So those are the the level of games that he's been thrown into, and what we're looking at is... A game against Swansea, which is always difficult, Um, Mm. a trip to Bayern Munich and then a North London derby because um, really when it comes down to it, we don't have much in the way of choice for that right hand side. So these are three games, um, not only that he's got a a chance to uh, perhaps to prove himself or to to suggest that he's got an Arsenal career, but he's got to play his part in in what are going to be three very tricky games.
1: Absolutely. Um, And, you know, there's there's no deeper end than, you know, Swansea away where we typically don't do well. Bayern Munich away is possibly the most difficult fixture in world football at the moment. And, you know, North London derby against the Spurs team are actually playing really, really well and don't give a lot away Mm. at the moment. So uh, there's no deeper end than that. There's no better circumstance for him to show us what he's got. Um, But really, I mean, I think had the prognosis for Danny Welbeck over the summer not been so horrifically bad, um, I'm pretty certain he'd have been sold. He was ultimately only kept around for an emergency, and uh, this is that emergency. Here we are. Exactly.
0: Here we are. I mean, it is – a lot of the talk this week has been about how Arsenal have lacked depth in their squad – Um, And I'm not sure that really holds much water when it comes to the right-hand side of midfield. I think everybody understood, yeah, Arsenal fans and and maybe Arsenal themselves wanted a striker. They wanted an upgrade on what they already had. And the worries that perhaps we didn't have sufficient backup for Francis Coquelin, that's understandable as well. Mikel Arteta actually out-injured. But six options for the right hand side of midfield out, so you've got Walcott out, even though he hasn't really been trusted there since that that Spurs game away, mm. oxley Chamberlain ramsey Wilshire uh, Thomas Rosicki, uh, and Danny Welbeck, somebody who could play there as well and and good options, all of them it's mm. it, I won't say it's unprecedented because I don't think you can really call any Arsenal injury crisis <laughs> unprecedented but but to have those six guys gone um it's it's a strange one
1: it is and, and actually still um as much as I, I don't think there's an awful lot of love for joel campbell um it's still a guy who's played at a World Cup um in a front three uh, for Costa Rica and been to the knockout stages and so he's not completely without pedigree um so I, I, actually i think it speaks of a certain level of depth that certainly in that area of the pitch if you're kind of if you've lost, and I think Campbell would be sixth or seventh choice, I think all of those players that were injured, I think even Thomas Rosicki would be preferred there before him. Um, and, you know, we're still able to turn out a player who, and it's not out of position for him. He plays anywhere across the front three. And, you know, he's he's an international of some pedigree, um, fairly young player. So a- actually, I think it's it shows a fair amount of depth in that particular area. Um but yeah, of course, I, I think really my reading of it is that for Arsenal, there are just four players we we really need to be fit for most of the season. And that they're the four I mentioned already. And the other pieces aren't interchangeable per se, but mm. um, we can probably cover them um, with similar quality, if not exactly the same.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... It's uh, it's difficult to look at the injury situation and not be, well, not not suffer a sense of déjà vu almost. Um, whatever the the work that's been going on behind the scenes, and people have said that things have improved, and statistically there was something last week I saw an Arsenal report that that showed that things had improved. Um, but when you look at the names of the people that are injured, and are out. Jack Wilshire, mm. Theo Walcott, Thomas Rositsky, Alex Huxley chamberlain Aaron Ramsey, all of whom have some history with injury problems. Some of them mm. more than others. Some of them tend to pick up more serious injuries than others. But all of them, to, a, to one degree or another, tend to, tend to be in-and-out players. They're not guys that will do you 38 games in a league season.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it is a very recurring theme. And some of them, you know, uh, I think Aaron Ramsey's, that's quite a worrying one because he tends to get a lot of muscular injuries in very, very similar areas. And whether that's just because he covers so much ground so often, you know, you don't know, maybe some players are just predisposed to it. It's, you know, it's it's really a kind of a mystery wrapped in an enigma. But yes, and I, I totally get. The point a lot of people made that actually on paper, we do have quite a deep squad. But to what extent can can you rely on some of them? And uh, I, I mean, I think it's clear now over the last kind of seven to eight years that we have an issue within or sorry, we have some issues with injuries. I don't think it's as simple as one issue. And I think it's it's clearly very dis- difficult to isolate um, what the issues are, and therefore very difficult to solve them. Because is it just that they play too much? Is it the way they train? I think I think they've just looked into so much of this stuff, and they've mm. invested a lot of time, and nobody's finding any answers. And I think it's just most likely that you know there are kind of six or seven things going on all at the same time, and they're probably very different for different players. You know, Ramsey's getting mus- muscular injuries. Wilshire keeps getting kicked and getting ankle injuries. Rosicki just gets injuries everywhere. Um, Ditto Chamberlain. Actually, he's had a couple of knee injuries, a couple of hamstring pulls. So, I mean, is is that you know, is that just bad luck? Is that mm. a symptom of something? And I think the the, on, the honest answer is it's probably different for all of them, which is why it's just been so difficult for us to to solve this issue.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it is difficult because people will say, look, if you know players are going to be injured. Then you build your squad to to cope with that, but at the same time you cannot. For example, uh, you can't have three left backs. No, you can't have six central defenders because ultimately a couple of them just aren't going to play, and the ones that don't play are probably going to be not of the quality that you need anyway. Yeah. Um, the other the other side of it is is absolute ruthlessness and saying, well, look. This kid has been in the team for X amount of years and he's never been able to stay fit. So for all his potential, I'm going to have to cut him loose, get some money for him and bring in somebody who uh, who, who can stay fit. But that's, again, you know, that's when you put a, a certain amount of education and development into a player, it's very yeah. difficult then to write them off before giving them every chance.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, in, in fairness, I think with someone like... Um, Robin Van Persie, as much as his name is dirt right now, um, I think a lot of people, you know, Arsene Wenger was told many times to give up on him, and he didn't. And Mm. Actually, he came through um, because, actually, well, most of his injuries were actually impact injuries, um, and he he kind of eventually got over that, whether that was just by luck or... There was a maturity
0: thing as well. He was a guy who would play when he wasn't ready to play and and would exacerbate his injuries, so...
1: And and would probably leap into tackles that he really didn't need to, and mm. whereas you know he he got better at using his body. So I mean may, maybe there's that kind of um, that kind of issue there as well. Maybe Aaron Ramsey needs to you know just not run a hundred miles an hour for a couple of minutes, maybe. Jack Wilshere needs to, you know, develop his right foot a bit so that he's better at protecting the ball because I get the sense that a lot of it's because he won't use his right foot so his left leg's always dangling and just, you know, looks primed to be cut down. Mm. Um, So, you know, maybe there are just individualish kind of autonomous issues with with all of them and the way their bodies work and things like that. It's it's so, so difficult and, you know... the thing is, as well, a lot of them, as you've said, are kind of young players who the managers invested a lot of time in. And we know that there is an element of sentiment to his management and there are a lot of strengths to that. And, you know, maybe one of the weaknesses is that with players like Jack Wilshire and I, t- I don't think anyone's seriously considering that we should get rid of Aaron Ramsey at this stage, but maybe he does lack a little bit of that ruthlessness with with the younger players that he's, he's put so much time into.
0: Mm. Yeah. Because the worst thing in the world would be to sell a guy though and see him take three, four exactly. seasons uninjured and playing, playing really well for somebody else. And you're kind of kicking yourself. So again, it's not an exact science. And um, obviously we know from what's happened at the the club over the last 18 months or so, that there's been a big investment with Shad Forsyth coming along with new strength and conditioning coaches with new physios, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, Maybe, maybe um, the issue lies with individuals rather than the the systems that are in place. Difficult, though.
1: Yeah, so we'll yeah, very.
0: All right. Well, look, Capital One Cup action in midweek. Um, while I don't think any of us want to see Arsenal lose a game and certainly not lose a game 3-0 uh, the way that we lost it, there's a sense, I think, that perhaps going out of this competition, given the state of the squad, uh, isn't the worst thing in the world that we could do without the extra game or two or whatever it might take? Um, wh- what did you make of the approach to the game on on Tuesday night? It seemed to be one that we didn't necessarily have a huge amount invested in in terms of our our commitment and performance.
1: No, definitely not. I um I I actually think uh, the the Capital One Cup might have been a nice little. Um, side dish, shall we say, to our title challenge. Um, The last two League Cups have been won by the League Champions, so I don't think it takes an awful lot out of your League campaign, particularly because it's done by February. Mm. Um, And, you know, Manchester City won it the season, they won the League. Chelsea won it the season, they won the League. They went out, they won it, they got it over and done with. It's finished pretty much before the Champions League kicks back in. So, um, and, And when you look at some of the players at the moment some of the fringe players, the likes of Debussy and Gibbs and Flamini, who really didn't perform on the night. And actually, they all look like they're suffering from a lack of games. And actually, I think staying in this competition to keep giving them minutes and keep them involved would have been a good thing because we're going to need them at some stage. And not only that, but we've almost certainly lost our yearly dead rubber in the Champions League. So that's Mm -hmm. another game where... You know, we're not going to It's very unlikely we're going to have the chance to go to Olympiakos and put out the second string again. So, it's it's a. I think the manager's got a bit of a difficult conundrum um, with that one as to what he does with those players. In terms of our our kind of approach to the game, I um, he he clearly didn't have an awful lot invested in it. I think the injuries killed it. Um, not just from the point of view of what it actually did to the team, it took two of our kind of players that we were looking to really carry the goal threat, I think psychologically it had quite a big impact as well. We saw two big players go down early on. And, you know, I just wonder if the rest of them thought maybe the most important thing is that, you know, we don't really add to that. And Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, it uh, did strike me that, 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 that when you're Olivier Giroud and you're there and you're going, yeah. okay, well, Welbeck's out and Walcott now looks like yeah. he's going to be out. And I'm the only striker left, apart from Joel Campbell. Uh, yeah. You know what? What would people say if Giroud ran around and and pulled a hamstring? You know that it, kind of way. So it's it's exactly. difficult.
1: Indeed, and uh, I, I think what broadly what the manager tried to do is he tried to put experience at least in every area of the team. So he had Giroud up front. He wanted somebody who could provide a bit of a spark and perhaps create something. So he played Chamberlain and then brought Walker on to try and keep the front three so that Iwobi, you know, wouldn't look quite as out of place as he ended up looking because we lost both of them. So we had to put another kid in the front three and we saw how that worked out. The back five was very experienced. You know, we had Flamini in midfield. So I think he tried to sprinkle the spine at least with, with some experience and make it a bit worthwhile for for some of some of the kids that played and um and ultimately we saw what happened as soon as we lost a couple of senior players and mm. you know the the manager was right the the guys that came in just weren't really up to it and I think he he knew that because we've if you look at it basically almost the entire league cup team has been decimated because a lot of them are injured a lot of the kind of more experienced players that have played that game and a lot of the younger players are out on loan so what you'd look at as our typical League Cup starting lineup, I think nine or ten of those players probably weren't there. Yeah. So we were left with very little choice but to put out a bit of a kind of ragtag. Um, you know, the, the the kit almost served to be quite symbolic of the, of the performance. It just looked <laughs> thrown together, a bit shabby. You know, it, it You know, just didn't really. Nothing really matched. There were no good combinations in there, and. Yeah. Once it went to kind of 2-0, I I had harboured absolutely no hope Mm. um, that we could create anything and get back in the game. And I think we only had one shot on target. My only real frustration, aside from the injuries, is the goals we conceded, given the experience we had in that back five, were pretty poor. And I think... I don't think would have conceded those in the Premier League. I mm. think would have tried a bit harder to keep those out.
0: Whatever about the youngsters and I think we can all accept that when you're throwing in a 17-year-old or 18-year-old playing their first game against a team at home who are up for a cup tie against you know one of the big teams, it's always going to be a little bit difficult and they need a bit of guidance. They need a bit of leadership from the, the more senior players. We lost one of them obviously and lost another one um, when Walcott went off but the performances, for example, of, of Debuchy and Gibbs, how much of a worry is that? Because you want those guys to respond to the way that Bellerin and Monreal have established themselves in the team. This is a way of reminding your manager that, hey, I'm still here. I want to play. I'm as good as this guy. Mm. And it's, you know, I know on, on the one hand we say, look, if you don't play regularly, it's difficult to find some form. It's difficult to find some rhythm. But at the same time, you know, these are experienced professionals. Debushi's 30, Gibbs is 26. They know what to do and how to do it. So that for me, that was really worrying.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think um, Kieran Gibbs has always been a player that needs a run of games. I think even when he was our first choice, I, I went through these big cycles of, I, I've never been his huge, biggest fan, but I always thought he was competent. But then he'd put eight, nine, ten games together and I'd start to think, oh, maybe there's more to him and then he'd just get injured and, you know, I just fall into this never-ending cycle of once he hits that kind of 10 games in a row, he starts to look a bit better and then just gets injured again. So I, I get the impression he's always been like that. With Debushi, I mean, maybe he's like that too. I'd You know, we haven't seen enough of him at Arsenal really and you kind of got to feel sorry for him when at 29 he got the big move that he's been waiting for his whole career and it's kind of gotten away from him. Mm. My reading of that is that I think he probably just wants to leave. Um, and I, I don't think it was like a conscious like, right, balls to this, I'm leaving, I don't care anymore. But I think subconsciously that can really creep in for a player, you know, when he kind of, I, I think he just senses that his Arsenal career has gotten away from him and that he just, he really wants to go to the Euros in the summer and, I think he'll probably push quite hard for a move in January and it'd be interesting to see what we do there.
0: I can't imagine we let him go. I mean, w- no. You know, I mean we've got Bellerin but like what what do you do if Bellerin gets injured?
1: It, you know. Exactly. Um, exactly.
0: so he, he's going to have to suck it up unfortunately and uh, the the way for him to get to the Euros as far as I can see is to you know train hard, work hard and when he when he gets a chance to play play well.
1: Absolutely. And and you know for him as well I think he played the first game of the season against West Ham which was a real disaster for everybody and mm. he didn't play well. And, you know, Bellerin was straight back in and, you know, he must've thought when Bellerin was injured on that first game of the season, he thought, right, he was picked ahead of me for the community shield. So I understand that he's probably first choice now, but I'm not out of this fight kind of thing. Yeah. And then he goes and he, he put in a very rusty performance. He was subbed with about 25 minutes to go. And, you know, it, it's a terrible way for it, to start the season really he absolutely cemented Bellerin's place and Bellerin since then has, has done it all himself. And, yeah, I, I just get the, the, the sense there's a there's a little bit of a, shall we say, a ennui, ennui, sorry, yeah. in, in Matthew Debuchy. whether but it's a deliberate thing or whether it's just...
0: Maybe it's just like a tired resignation and acceptance yeah. of the situation that he's in, that as long as Bellerin is fit, I mean, he must be looking at this guy going, fuck... Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know and, yourself and when you're playing. Team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He, he tend That's a, a really good point, actually, that he does fit the team a little bit better than than Debushi does. Um, so yeah, well, um, keep the head down, Matthew. Um, mm. Arsene Rigger spoke about the youngsters after the game and said they're not ready to play at this level. Any of them? None of them. Um, and you, you sort of touched on the point because lots of them are away on uh on loan uh, the likes of Akpom and Hayden and Zellelam and Crowley who, who probably would have played in in this kind of a game um was that just the manager being honest do you think there was perhaps more to it something maybe uh, weighted at uh, what's coming out of the academy or just like just for once like frank honesty from the manager I don't think he was saying look these guys are shit but just they're yeah. not ready to play yet.
1: I I think it was just frank honesty. And, you know, like I said earlier, we we kind of lost that layer of the squad. You know, six, seven years ago, our young players were much closer to the first team. So, you know, you go back to like 2007, Tubarakpom Akpom would have a lot more Premier League minutes under his belt. Zellelem probably would have seen some Premier League action by now. So those players, they'd already had a bit of exposure. So they came into the League Cup side. Um, we had a fairly settled League Cup side as well that would always play together. Um, and there was a real sense that they were all on the fringe of the first team. And And actually now the the kind of anatomy of the squad's changed. It's a bit older, it's a bit more experienced. And now those young players, they're, they're just not as close to the first team as they used to be because it's a bit better. So I think really what you saw on on Tuesday night were some of the players who probably a few years ago would have been on the bench in the League Cup and if you um if you kind of scan Arsenal's lineups in this competition from five, six years ago and you look at the substitutes benches, I mean a lot of them, you know, players like Sanchez Watt and, you know, players of that kind of mm-hmm. ilk who are clearly never gonna make it, who are just, you know, filling out numbers, uh Nico Yunaris and players like that. And that's probably the level of player you saw and the level of readiness that you saw in some of the players that we had to play. Um, on Tuesday night. So I think, Mm. you know, that's not to say they've got no future at the club, but some of them are are so far away from the first team anyway. There's probably an element to which Wenger wanted to protect some of his senior players because he's got to rely on them um, a little bit more. But there was was a little part of that comment, actually, that, that I don't think was picked up on quite as much, where he said, this was a championship team. This wasn't even the Premier League. So this is a good illustration of how far they've got to come. And, uh, you know, that's that's yeah. quite a pointed comment that basically saying they're not really championship standard yet, even. So I, I think it was just brutal honesty. I don't think he's writing off any of their futures at the club. But if any of them have got a future at the club, that that's probably not going to materialise for a few years. So I, I don't think there's anything behind that in terms of having a shot at the academy. Um yeah. I, I didn't read it that way.
0: Given the injury, uh, very quickly and finally, just given the injury situation, though, and he's talking, uh, having said that, and I I don't disagree with him in the slightest, mm. um, having said what he said, though, we may need to use one or two of those. He's already saying, look, I might have to play Campbell or Iwobi. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the right hand side you know we're an injury away for, to somebody else in that front three of, of definitely having to use someone like uh alex iwobi so uh, yeah. is there an element of like well prove me wrong here as well or
1: quite possibly i i wonder because i know that iwobi is pretty highly rated um at the club and actually he's just signed a contract so i think whether he takes him aside and actually says this i'm not sure but i think there's a there's a sense to which um, he might have been excluded from that comment because he's certainly going to be in the squad for Saturday, be it on the bench um, or otherwise. And obviously, uh, uh, the Jeff is uh, is away at the moment. Yeah. He's probably someone that's quite a bit closer to the first team as well than some of the others that played. So maybe, but I, I think that Iwobi would have been excluded from that. And at the end of the day, he signed um, a pretty good contract a couple of weeks ago and that's probably a better illustration of of the manager's faith in him uh, and where he sees him at the moment and that also means that a conversation would have been had very very recently about where they see his future so I I think there's an element to which Iwobi in isolation might have been disregarded um, from that comment and I also think that's why he wanted to keep a player like when Chamberlain came off where well, he wanted to keep Walcott on because I think he wanted to give Iwobi a fighting chance of looking good in the front three next yeah. to a couple of senior players.
0: Mm, I suppose as well. I mean, it's worth pointing out that one of the guys that came on, uh, Christian Bielik, in the in the second half was a two point two million pound signing as well. So yeah. not not somebody that's come through. So exactly quite what that says. I don't know. Maybe there's there's more chance for him as well if they've uh, if they spend that much money. They they clearly have a bit of faith in in yeah. uh, his talent and potential. Anyway, we'll see. Uh, fingers crossed for no more injuries. Um, happy trip to Swansea, and we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. Indeed. Thanks to Tim. You can find him on Twitter at stillberto, at stillberto. And, of course, you can read his column here every Thursday on Arsblog.com. So what's next? Good question. What I shouldn't have done just before I started recording that was eat a load of pistachio nuts. But, oh, God, they're so delicious. I love pistachio nuts. So what I'm going to do is do this. We'll take a little thing. We'll do a what's it. And then we'll come back and look ahead to the game against Swansea, right? Okay. More pistachios. Arsenal Football Club today announced a vacancy for a right-sided midfielder. The chap in question must be physically robust and sturdy, creative, and with an eye for goal. Chairman Sir Chips Keswick said, I'm tired of all these weaklings. We need the footballing equivalent of a shire horse. Applications close Monday. No horses need apply. (laughs) I said no horses, stupid horse. Right then, ahead of what's going to be a busy eight days on the football pitch, because we've got Swansea tomorrow, three o'clock kickoff. Where did they come up with these crazy kickoff times? Stupid TV, ruining it for everyone. But we've got Swansea anyway, tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, we've got Bayern Munich. And then next Sunday, we've got a North London derby against Tottenham. And it feels like one-game-at-a-time territory, really, doesn't it? Because we we don't have the squad. We don't have any way of really keeping things fresh and rotating things. When you look at the players who are out, Aaron Ramsey, Jack Wilshere, Danny Welbeck, Theo Walcott, Alex oxley chamberlain uh, Thomas Rosicki, David Ospina is out, uh, Mikel Arteta, he's also out, and all of them out until at least after the, uh, the international break. Of course, players can go away and, and pick up the injuries there, can't they, as well? So it's not like they're going to get a rest or anything. So it's, it's kind of touch and go. It feels like we're on a knife edge here until we get, until we get a couple of players back. Midweek shouldn't have taken too much out of us in terms of, uh, in terms of the squad, in terms of the team that's going to play tomorrow at Swansea. Always a difficult place to go. They play nice football. They haven't had the greatest results recently, although they did win against Aston Villa. However, I suspect that if I were to go out into the street and pick up 11 chaps to play football, get your mind out of the go. What is wrong with you people this week? Uh, and and pit them against a Tim Sherwood team, I'm pretty sure I could win that too. So we won't take that as a sign that they're back on track, but we know that if we let them play, they've got players who can hurt us. Jefferson Montero Uh, down the left-hand side. Good practice for Hector Bellerin when he's going to play Douglas Costa in a week. Man, Hector's going to have his work cut out for him this week, isn't he? He's going to need some help from whoever plays on the uh, right-hand side, which we assume will be Joel Campbell. The rest of the team more or less picks itself. Whether he goes with Mertesacker or or, uh, Gabriel in the centre of defence, that will be quite interesting, actually. Will he go with Per away from home? Keep that leadership in the side or will Gabriel get in there because of the, the way that he played against um, the way he played against Everton, which was very good indeed. We all know the fist pumpy stuff. So look, there's not much to say about it other than hope we can, you know, keep our Premier League run going. I don't think the, the Capital One Cup game will really affect our momentum too much. I don't think there's gonna be guys in the dressing room absolutely gutted because we went out of the Capital One Cup, so we should be able to compartmentalize that pretty easily and hopefully hopefully win another game. Uh, on Saturday and keep ourselves right up there at the top of the table. It's Halloween. Let's hope there are no scares, no frights, no evil goings on. Or terrible monsters or ghouls or ghosts or spooky skeletons, or anything like that. So, look, uh, if you're making the trip to Swansea, have a good one, have a safe one. Come back with the three points, please. James and I will be here on Monday for you with an Arscast Extra, looking back to what happened at Swansea, looking ahead to what's going to happen at uh, Bayern Munich and taking all your questions and all that kind of stuff as well. So uh, make sure you join us for that. Fingers crossed, folks. Let's, uh, let's hope we get the right result. Talk to you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver. For no mere mortal can resist the evil. Matthew Matthew would at Ride Back. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.